so it's nice to have like a one little dedicated workroom or like kind of set aside space where you can kind of channel positive vibes. No, absolutely, man. Well, I, I appreciate you. Uh, you know, folks, you are live and direct in a quarantined edition of the Corner Store. The Corner Store is open <laughs> despite no one being able to come inside. Uh, and we have we have a really special guest, uh, someone who uh, not only listens to the show, but we've wanted on the show for, for a minute, uh, a DJ, someone who does a lot of work in the community. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the official DJ of the Chicago Fire, This is these are facts. These are straight facts, yeah. Uh, we have DJ Step in the corner store. Welcome, sir. Thanks, man, for having me. Thanks for for bringing me into your self-distanced safe space for a little bit, right, digitally, right? We're recording digitally. So. Yeah, exactly. No, man, I, I feel, I mean, this is, for me, you know, as a writer, it's really a, uh, it, I always seek the solace of my writing space, and so I'm, I'm recording in my home office and library and, and kind of writing studio. So it's good to be here. You, you've created, uh, you know, your own uh, sanctuary uh, where you're at. It seems. Yeah, I, um, I think for you know, living in Chicago for like a decade, you bounce around and uh, you have a gajillion different living situations. Sometimes with people, sometimes without. And finally, a decade in, I think I kind of figured it out where I had a space where I can kind of balance and sort of like section off my life to where it needs to be only took uh, 10 years though right hey listen yeah no yeah, it, yeah that's, that's that's about the time with that uh you could really figure something out it takes that that amount of time um yeah. well let's go back then so so are you you're where are you from i'm originally from uh, back east um i'm from a suburb outside of uh, hartford connecticut so the town's name is glastonbury but to any other person uh, that doesn't really, you know, know many better. Connecticut, sort of that blank space in between Boston and New York City, basically. Right, and and yeah. and so coming up there, uh, you know, what kind of, you know, well, I guess, what did your folks do? Uh, yeah. So my mom, my mom's an English teacher. Um, she was either an English or like a, a writing teacher for um, my entire life. Um, varying like different grades and like levels and everything, but um, so always had her as kind of like an influence with writing and, and, and the arts and everything. And my dad did a little bit of everything. Um, I, uh, when I first started out, actually, he was like uh, in marketing for like a, a mass printing company. So like if a, someone was doing circulars for like, uh, you know, they get stuffed in your, your newspaper or anything like that, um, he'd be the person on those huge, huge inkjet printers, basically like marketing that to like uh, different companies and agencies, which... In retrospect, like it doesn't really exist anymore. Right. So, what is he? Is uh, is he still? What does he do now? Uh, so they're both technically retired now. Um, but I definitely like my dad bounced around and did a little bit of everything. I think he like he always had the dream, sort of, to be the guy that that was his own boss, like not having to. We all have to answer to somebody at the end of the day, but like uh, at least have enough as much autonomy as he could as possible. So he owned a bar for a little bit uh, growing up. There was like a live music venue. Uh, he um, owned like a, or like was part managing a company that did like hay and shavings. So like, if you think about like all those huge horse farms and like supplying them with like food and everything, I spent like a lot of my time as a kid, like in the back of an 18 wheeler, like kind of just driving around either New York or like Long Island, like 
just shoving hay into like huge horse farms, basically. So wow. really weird, but yeah, yeah. Just, like, no, I mean, it was just yeah, a different a different uh, slice of the country, certainly. I mean, uh, but growing up in in that the, the live music venue, um, what, you know, must have been interesting and kind of leads maybe towards where, where you're at now. But what, what kind of music was, was in your ha- home as a kid? Your folks, uh, they had vinyl. How do they? How do they? How'd you hear it as a kid? Yeah, so I mean, like, live music venue, I guess I kind of gave them a little bit too much credit. It was more like a college bar that, like, had music at it and, uh, you know, was, like, constantly getting raided by police and stuff, you know, like, just just a a, a shit show, basically, at the end of the day. Um, But, yeah, my parent music was always really, really big in my house. Um, You know, I think all the classics, like, you know, the Stevie Wonders, uh, you know, Motown, like, Marvin Gaye, um... My parents also were really big into, like, folk music, too. So, like, Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, uh, you know, all that stuff basically kind of found its way into my house. Right. And and uh, do you remember at some point being drawn to music or at what point, in, you know, in your, in your maturation were you like, oh, shit, I'm really beginning to develop my own musical taste? Yeah, uh, man, I, no one in my family is like really like, you know, I think a lot of times having listened to this podcast a lot, there's always someone that has like a, a direct influence, like there's that uncle or that yeah, brother person or, that is, yeah. yeah, right? And no one really was like that in my family, um, so I think probably in, in, in like a younger, like grade school, um, I started playing instruments and got really into trumpet at the time, and then, um... I think I kind of caught the music bug from there. I mean, I wasn't definitely like the greatest and I wasn't like, you know, Miles Davis or Chuck Mangione or something like that. But I had chops a little bit and kind of got into it that way. Did you play in a, in a high school band in a, in a marching band in an orchestra and a jazz yeah, band? I did, yeah, I did all that. I did. I was definitely a band nerd. Um, I did regular band, marching band. There was like regional things that were like specific music academies that you could like try out for and kind of like, and meet other kids from other like districts and stuff, um, and sort of try and figure out what um, what fit for you. I think the biggest thing probably was when I first got my first instrument, um, because you know you can get like the entry level thing that you kind of get as a rental as like a younger kid, and then when you start showing more and more interest, I think your parents are like, ah, you know, maybe I'll let let him like you know splurge on something. So um, I saved up like probably like two three summers like working, and then uh, they. My parents basically surprised me on one of my birthdays, and we went up uh, to Boston to this really infamous, like, music um, store that was, like, it, you know, it smelled like old books, basically, and it was just, like, that spot, you know, it's all crushed velvet on the inside and everything, and they let me pick out, like, my first instrument, so I think from there, that was kind of, like, where I was hooked. And was it a trumpet, or what was it? Yeah, 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 it was a trumpet, yeah, it was just, like, this specific, you know, like, I could nerd off all the, like the special edition this with like this bell flare and like all this other stuff. But yeah. And so at that point, what were you listening to? Were you beginning to listen to jazz? Were you listening to popular music? What were you? Uh, yeah. So like I, I'm one of, I'm one of three, so I'm the youngest. Um, so I definitely got the trickle down from, from my siblings of music that they were rocking with. Um, my brother was a big hip hop person. And then my sister was like, like Smashing Pumpkins, like Cranberries, like, um, you know, Everclear, like weird, more like indie rock stuff. Um, so I kind of got a little bit of both from both of them. Um, I was a big Wynton Marsalis fan growing up. 
Um, I got to meet him a couple times actually through that music program and saw him play. Shit, that's um, dope. Yeah, he's like such a huge. I think he's just like a huge uh, influence not only obviously from just being an amazing instrumentalist and just coming from like that huge crazy family pedigree, but also like just from an educated perspective, like willing to teach and share with other people. Like I don't think you you oftentimes find that in someone that that's like that gifted and talented. Yeah, and as a curator too. I mean, he does. I mean, I guess a lot of his work is in part about a kind of uh, educational entertainment too. You know, so he really is put on. For jazz and jazz education in, in a real way. Master classes and like everything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, all right. So, so you're, 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 and were you, you were in the band, were you starting to, did you, have, did you ever have the aspirations of making your own music? Um, you know, like, I think I, I was lucky enough in like high school and, um, you know, uh, moving into college that like there was opportunities to kind of mess around with computer programs and like see how creation of like music and how like that production process work like see the gear that people are using um but connecticut like it just it just seemed like uh it just seemed like planets away like another solar system or like galaxy you know like i don't know if i even really ever saw a dj like actually a dj or what even a person like would highlight as a dj until i was probably in high school i didn't even know what it was yeah yeah so how did you, I mean, eventually, how did you start to get into then that realm? Yeah, uh, I, mean, I think the first time, like, I really got into, like, selecting music and everything was in high school. Um, I played soccer really, really heavily as a kid, um, just because my brother was in that, like, realm. And so you were always just kind of dragged to all the games, basically, as the younger brother. Um, but, like, that community and that culture of sports was really, really popular in Central and, like, Southern Connecticut. Um, so when I got time to like high school, high school, like if you picture like the Friday Night Lights series for like football, it was kind of like that for soccer. Like it, it was a really, really, really big deal. Um, so when I finally got on the varsity team, I was kind of like already messing around with music and they'd let me make the, the warm up mixtapes basically. For wow. The team. Okay. Right. So like I wasn't getting minutes, but I was definitely <laughs> making the music mixtape and getting everybody super hyped up and everything. Um, without, without, so, um, if you could, what, what what years are we talking? Oh uh, no, I don't, I don't. Full disclosure, I don't care. Uh, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I graduated in high school in '09. Mm-hmm. So I think I got on the team my sophomore year of. I got on the varsity team my sophomore year, and so that would probably be oh six or seven, maybe something like that. Yeah. Right. So can, can you give us a sense of what we're, what we're on some of those tapes? Who is who is uh, you know making making the list? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that was like that was like the the era for uh, like I think Jay Z and like Kanye were super big. I think like Swagger like us and all those records that came out like then. So like those huge posse cut records that like you found on LimeWire like three weeks before they came out. You know what I'm saying? That like were super huge. Uh, but it was soccer, so it's like that weird space where like there's so many different tastes. It's not just like one overarching like rule of thumb, you know what I'm saying? Where if you, like, looked at basketball or if you looked at football, like, maybe hip-hop was, like, the overarching... Or rock, maybe, might be the overarching, like, force there. So, like, Bulls on Parade, like, you know, Song 2, The Blur. Uh, so it was, it was like, rock and hip-hop, too, for sure. Right, okay, cool. So you began to kind of... Uh, in, in what you were making, uh, these are, like... These aren't playlists yet. They're CDs, or what? how are you... Uh... Nah, yeah, they were definitely CDs, and you were, like... There was some, like like acid pro or like there was these like weird you know 
janky program, so you could kind of like blend things together, but it was like, yeah, you know, it was it was totally bad. Yeah. Okay, so how did how did your practice begin to mature? Did it was it in college where you? Yeah. Uh, so I I I went to school at DePaul University here in Chicago, and that's kind of what brought me here. Yeah. I had never been to Chicago um, before applying to school here. Like I got. Um, I got recruited for a couple of schools to play soccer, but they were like kind of in the middle of nowhere. And um, I think after my high school experience being so much fun, I was like, I don't think I need the immediacy of a sports program to like make friends, you know, at the end of the day. Um, and my dad had been for business like back in like the eighties the or something like that. And probably got like drunk on rush street or something and really liked it at the time he had here. So uh, he was like, yeah, you should check out Chicago. Um, so I applied and got in, and um, I brought my trumpet with me, and I was thinking that I was going to try and do something maybe more in the arts program. Yeah. And uh, DePaul, like, their program, in order to be in the performance arts, you have to, like, learn, like, keys, and you have to, like, take vocal lessons, and you have to be, like, a holistic, like, student of the arts. And, I, and you had to do that even to get, like, practice space. So, like, even if I was just, like, a hobbyist, I couldn't practice in the practice rooms because I was for the relapse musicians, basically, at the end of the day. Um and I was, like, downstairs in my, like, dorm rooms, like, basement in the hall by myself trying to, like, you know, kick it. And it was just really lame. So, like, uh, that kind of squashed my my interest into, like, being in the performance arts because I knew I wasn't going to learn keys functionally. And I, I, my voice is, this is it. This is my vocal range right now. Basically, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I started, like, looking around. And at the time, um, I guess I... Is it is it past the time where I can get in trouble for it? Yeah, I think I had I had a fake ID from my brother basically. Um, so <laughs> no, yeah, statute of limitations uh, is over. After yeah, seven, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I think they have bigger problems right now, CPD, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it's okay. Um, but yeah, I had like my brother's ID. It wasn't a fake ID technically. I guess it was my brother's real ID. Okay, we looked similar. Right. So. I just kind of started... Um, allegedly. Just say allegedly after everything you'll be... Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly, we look similar. We were of the same kin. Yeah. Allegedly, so, you lose, you use his ID. Allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly, they let me into the venues. Um, <laughs> and so I started kind of going all over um, the city. Um, and there was a couple different, like, videos that I saw on, like, it was, like, MySpace era, right? And, like, of people, like, interviewing folks that were, like, super hot in the scene. And I think that was kind of around when, like, bottle service and stuff was, like, at its heyday, right? Like 2010, 2011. Yeah, this is like, like the, yeah, the club, the club really, it was the heyday of the club. You, yeah, so I, I, you know, having been someone from like the middle of, you know, nowhere in Connecticut that worked on a farm, like seeing this stuff for the first time was like, what is this? This is crazy. Like these guys are like rock stars. Um, and I started just trying to figure out like, how could I get involved with DJing? Because it has everything I like. Like I can understand, I, I can read music. Um, I can, you know, write music. Um, I, I understand breaks and like, you know, phrasing, you know what I'm saying? So that's like half the battle, right. In terms of blending already, um, like song structure. So, uh, I started going out to nightclubs and bars and like when the DJ would get off his set or they switch over, I would kind of like, you know, come over with my drink and like start trying to like make conversation. And a lot of times, where would you be going? Where would you be going? Uh, so like being at DePaul, I like, DePaul's a commuter school, right? So like at the end of the day, like 
you know, on the weekends, like it would be nobody there. It'd be a ghost town. So it's like all the out of towners basically stuck together basically. And I had an ID. So I was like, peace, I ain't staying here. And the closest place would always be Lincoln Hall. Lincoln Hall had a party going on, on, I think it was like Wednesdays or something. It was called Just Desserts. There was a guy named Clayton Hawk that was like a, a event photographer at the time. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Clayton is very so talented. Would, very talented. Yeah. Still, I mean, still like just crushing it. I love like looking at his visuals. Yeah, um, me too. And then I would check out, uh, it was like right in the era, right before when Sonotech switched over to Beauty Bar, basically. Right. So, yeah. that era too. I miss, um, I miss Sonotech. Yeah, so I was kind of like in the mix in between those two. Um, and then uh, the f- the f- a lot of times people would just tell me to like get lost or like, you know, like fuck off or like whatever, you know what I'm saying? Because people didn't want to get like jostled after they were like did their thing you know right. yeah they wanted to and, hang out or... yeah and i mean like chicago is a very approachable city like we're able to you know have that con- that dialogue but at the same time people you can tell when people just aren't like with the shits basically and don't want to don't want to have that conversation so i had a fair amount of those but um the first guy that actually kind of gave me like gave me kind of an opportunity was a dude named matt rowan um who was part of this group called crossfitter king Mm. Um, and he was a DePaul grad too. Um, his pops actually, uh, Dan Rowan was, um, is like the WGM, like sports announcer. Oh yeah. Um, And so like their family was like, just like super Chicago roots. And he was just like playing just so many crazy records. Like he would go from rock to like justice to like dance music to like tone low to like, it was, it was just everything. And, um, you know, I just started emailing him like, how'd you do this? Like, what was that? Like, what's that record? And as soon as they kind of started a dialogue, I was, I was at every set. Like it could be a school night. It could have been an industry night. I, wherever they were playing in the city, I was going to either be in the booth or I was going to be, you know, like at least adjacent to the party. Um, another person that really helped too was, um, you know, I started trying to find record stores to go like check things out. Cause I didn't have records myself, but I just wanted to listen to music. And uh, Gramophone was, like, huge for me. Yeah, man. Um, Mike uh, Serafini was, like... Amazing. Good dude. Like, my, my uncle. Like, you know, and yeah. it, I think when you, like, think about, like, the, the classic, like, high-fidelity scene where you walk into the record store and everyone is, like, an asshole to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it very well could be that experience. But, like, Michael, like, I think can, he has, like, a really good ability to genuinely feel people's intentions. You know what I'm saying? And he just thought, like, I think of when this, like, you know, skinny, like, translucently white dude walked into the <laughs> the store, like, that, you know, he was in the right place for, like, you know, to be learning and actually, like, you know, keep going. Yeah, sure. No, and, and Gramophone's been, I think, influential for, you know, DJ, I mean, for, in my own life and, and I think for DJs and and. You know, just people who are interested in music and culture for generations now, and and Mike is certainly kind of at the center of that. You know, um, yeah. So, so you were a student. I mean, you really kind of applied yourself to learning not only mm-hmm. the, the process, but the records. Probably, you know, as you know, maybe just as importantly, most importantly. Yeah, definitely. I think. Um, I mean, the first like the first opportunities to uh, like DJ, I definitely were messing around with the computer program. But as soon as I met like people that were doing the real thing I was like, I can't, I can't do like, I, maybe I might be able to start and learn. Cause like at the end of the day, like there's that, there's that discussion or argument over like what's better, or, like rocking the party or not rocking the party with like specific gear. Um, but, uh, you know, if you, if you have the ability to use whatever's in front of you, I think that's what needs to kind of happen at the end of the day. 
Um, and so when I had the chance, I started saving up to actually get like techniques and practice on them. But they would let me come by the studio and kind of mess around on their stuff too. And so, so eventually, you did. You saved up for for your own gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I had I had like two. Uh, I had some belt driven joints that one of my roommates in college let me kind of mess around with, but it was just like, I mean, they were they were really difficult to mix on, and I like I I think I got the hang out with them, um, but it wasn't what I ended up using like day to day. And I saved up enough money to get uh, techniques for really really cheap, and then had like you know just some gas mixer in between the two of them kind of making the ensemble complete and so what what was your you know what was a break for you early on in, in your career where where's the spot that you performed a party that you got to play at i mean what was what was early on how did you get on uh I, so like when you first start practicing blending like there's a reason why you're practicing it's because you're not very good and even with like technology i think the the guys like uh, Matt Rowan and then his uh, co-partner, his name was uh, E6, Emilio Abadia. Um, they were really adamant on like, you're going to learn how to like blend. Like you're going to learn how to blend and you're going to learn how to cut and scratch too. Like if you don't like scratching and you want to just blend, like that's fine. But I was really into it. So like the technical, rep- like the repetition really like, it kind of reminded me of being back in sports again, like learning like a technique, you know? Hmm. Um so yeah so uh, you know I started learning on that and then eventually they let me use the computer program so it was kind of like I would blend at my house on vinyl because I didn't have the ability to like afford Serato or anything like that and then once I kind of was halfway decent enough they let me play on Serato and like do that whole thing Um, but because they were like an agency that would book downtown venues I definitely wasn't good enough to play downtown yet like and I didn't have like the ability to like handle it um, to like have someone yell at you to change a song or like give you feedback and not like crush under the pressure basically. <laughs> um, so, uh, I started my own parties. I, I started like, you know, I had like an idea with a couple buddies to like make an event that was kind of like loosely themed around university stuff or like school. So we had this thing called recess, um, that we like marketed and branded together and was just like a cracking party basically on like, in like the DePaul campus area. Yeah, at a it was at a venue. It was at a house. It was. Uh, there was there was like satellite versions of it. I think in like an experimental stage that um were at houses, and then it went to a venue, and then the first night we ever had, I remember it really vividly because it was like, like six people came. It was like horrible. You know what I'm saying? Like and like my the, my my guys that I was like collaborating with were like um, my friend Adam and my friend Scott. They were like, man, I don't know if we can do this. It's like we're not cut out for this. Like I'm like, yo, just. Nah, this is going to work. Stay with Trust. it. Yeah, stay with it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it just, it's just consistency, and you have to, like, link up with the right people. We're, I think we were, like, freshmen or sophomores, and at the time, I'm like, we just don't know enough people yet. It's going to happen. And then, sure enough, we moved venues um, and got some more, like, local promotion from, like, the radio station at DePaul. Uh, and not to, like, obviously promote alcohol-related events, but, like, people that just knew people and were able to kind of, like, dap you up and bring you into circles, basically. And so we booked ourselves basically, and it was like another way to kind of like get some extra spending money and like invest in stuff. Um, a lot of times with DJing, I use that money to kind of like reinvest in gear or like obviously it went to like a six pack of beer every now and again, but like, uh, you know, production programs, learning how to like make things. And so I try to use it in a way that like made sense. Yeah, right. Your business, invest in your business, and your business is yourself, and that makes sense. I mean, you know. sure. I'm- 
I, I, I think like I, I try and at least keep that, you know, principle. It's it's hard nowadays, right? There's so much white noise and so many th- people that want your attention all the time. But keeping that as kind of like a, a north star is definitely good. Yeah. So I mean, you know, from that point till till now, I mean, what are some of the things about the Chicago party scene that you've noticed that you that you that you like? I mean, what you know, you've stayed here obviously and continue to yeah. do a lot of work here. What are some of the things about about you know these scenes that have uh, you know, kept you that that attract you. What are the, some of the things about it that you notice and like? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing to me is like the that you can be like cracking or like popular in like a certain scene in Chicago, and there are people that still wouldn't know you if they hit you with a car. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's such a it's almost weird. Like the same way our city is like segregated in like neighborhoods. I think our parties also like and the cliques and people that associate with themselves. Are oftentimes kind of sec- like like sequenced off as well. Um, so I think my first real like club gigs and like and like being in like a you know that kind of a competitive atmosphere was actually in Boys Town. Like I played in Boys Town for like two or three years um, because the guys I was working with had a count there. So I love I love that scene. I love I love Boys Town. I love like the drag shows. I love all the people that are there, and it's just like so open for the most part. I think there's not a lot of and then also like you know it's not necessarily boy sound but like queen with michael um, yeah yeah i mean that's one of the best parties in the city now i mean yeah for sure and, and, and it was that way back then too i think mm. it's just like it, it it if you have honest intentions and i think you can go forward i think if you do it for a long enough people are gonna latch on to that um but yeah i think it was just the the variety and to be able to sort of manifest yourself in different spaces and i think as long as you came correct and like respected people that were those uh those pioneers or those uh like influencers in that given space i think you were given the ability to kind of pass in between different venues because i would just go wherever wherever you know there was a listing for something and i think that's kind of died down a little bit i think people are kind of lazy nowadays like it's like they're just waiting for the next like dope thing to come up on their Instagram that they can go figure out or find or like there's so much things happening that like you only get 30 minutes of your time because your friend has another friend that has another friend that has another party going on and like they're only stopping by to show love for 45 minutes because they have to go to another thing or another thing and it's not anyone's fault but I think with how like uh, how do I say this how permeated social media is within like our lives now our attention spans, I think, are like the same thing too. I think that's facts. Yeah. Who Who are some of the DJs uh, in in that era now that you kind of look to, that you are inspired by, that you like hearing the set by, uh, that you continue to learn from, even? Yeah, I mean, I think from that era, um, wow. Uh, a lot of these people have, like become peers, which is really really cool. Um, you know, um, obviously, like Emilio. Um, E6 and Matt Rowan have always just been people that have like I think not only just like taught me how to be a good DJ but like schooled me to the business aspect of it I think that's like the that's the last thing everyone always learns you know what I'm saying and that's that's what, one of the first things that they thought was as, as valuable as you know learning how to blend you know at the end of the day is like how to represent yourself properly and like kick and like approach businesses and approach approach people um I mean, Michael, obviously, yeah, like Derek Carter, I don't, I don't know Derek well, but like, I mean, his, his, his selection is just like unmatched really at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, gosh, in that era, or like, a lot of times people, people, 
people have like moved too, you know, so it's like a lot of folks have just fled the city, which yeah. is not their fault, but like it happens, right? Yeah. Um, now, I mean, you just had him on, uh, Jesse De La Pena yeah. is like huge for me. Um, Pump and Pete, like Pete's huge. Um, and anyone from the Vocal of Collective too, like I think the dope thing about uh, in the last like two, three years being able to get on the Collective, it's given me the opportunity to really understand um, different scenes and people and how they how they've been able to like hit, like find their style because it, I think that's as an artist as a as a writer as a DJ whatever like finding what your personal style is and what your as a person your realm really, is right? yeah it, it's so hard you yeah. know what I'm saying you try for so long and you, you almost like you imitate other people's styles first and then you're like this isn't me and then you try and figure out and you, you, you choose bits and pieces from everybody you know what I'm saying and that's what like uh, that contingency has really given me. That's how I think. That's how all art works, and all artists operate. You know, and I think sometimes there's a, a misconception with younger artists, with uh, maturing artists who feel the type of way about you know taking bits from people they idolize. But I think that's how mm-hmm. all artists learn. Ultimately, you know, it's like I. I mean, I. I think that's how you get better. Is like you learn from people you admire, learn from people you think are great. You imitate it, and then hopefully you also come out the other side with your own sense of what you're doing. Right, and I mean, that's the same way with like with with mixed projects, with like scratch techniques, with like really like trying to focus on the canon of like what is valuable in your cultural sphere. And so you're like, well, this is dope, but this is kind of antiquated. You know, what's the new version of this? Like, can you kind of watch in the distance for what's coming next? You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you're you're because you're a resident of Vocalo. Or your partner, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I um, they have like a collective that does uh, mix shows. Uh, it's every Friday. Jesse does a curation um, on ninety one point one, um, but they have a collective of people that they kind of throw the gauntlet down to. And for a number of years, they've done um, essentially like a competition um, to decide who is, is like given passage into the collective or whatever, Yeah, you know, on some like Lord of the Rings shit. Um, but yeah, I competed in one, um, a couple of years, like a year or two back, um, which was like the most like exhilarating experience, but also the most like terrifying experience as well. So why, why, ter- why terrifying? I don't know. I mean, so like in hip hop and dance and like, I think you've probably understood this and like in, in your space as well, like, it's art, it's all fun and games, but it's also, like, people are at your neck, too, like, and DJing is a super competitive space, like, and while there might be people you're cool with, there's definitely some fake energy where people don't like your static, or they don't like your style, they don't like what you're doing, you know what I'm saying, they would, they would eat your sandwich, they'd eat your friend's sandwich, you know what I'm saying, they would, you know, talk bad about your mama, all that other good stuff, so, uh, you know, knowing, like, a lot of the folks that are, um, part of Vocalo are like the gauntlet of what the city scene for DJing is built on. Even though like these folks are really humble and nice and like you, you can step to them and it's, it's like mutual respect and love. Like that's as someone that is relatively new. Like I've only been doing this for a decade at this point. Like you, you definitely feel like an imposter a little bit. Like you're like, well, like I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in DMC competitions in 1989. Like I wasn't born yet. You know what I'm saying? Like how right, can I even? Right. How can I even? You know, measure up or 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 even conflate like what these folks are. I mean, there's 
there's streets in Chicago that are named after DJs, right? Like Frankie Knuckles and everything. So it's like to be able to like step to that culture and, and be respected or at least like welcomed in is, is I think something that's like really special and I don't take it for granted for sure. No, it's real. Um, well, you, you do great work and you put great mixes into the world. I'm wondering, you know, how did the relationship with the Chicago fire come about? Yeah. Um, you know, as, as we were talking about, like I've played the game, you know, I played soccer for a number of years and, yeah. like, and pretty competitively at like sometimes I'm all washed up now, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, it, basically the short story is that in 2015, my brother, um, my older brother, um, for my birthday, he actually gave me season tickets, uh, to the team, um, which was a, a crazy gift. Like, I mean, like, you know, in terms of, you know, sports teams, like soccer is probably one of the more affordable, obviously compared to like, you know, bull season tickets or, or bear season yeah, tickets. Still but season tickets to professional sporting. Yeah. Matches, yeah. So, yeah. He yeah. came correct. It yeah. was dope. Right. Um, right. and so I was like, damn, like I'm, I'm in college. Like I, or well, actually, for 2015, I was out of, out of school at that point, but I had gone to games when I was in college, and I was like, man, like, I have the ability to go, like, to the summertime, like, go take buses out to, they were in Bridgeview at the time playing, and um, just, like, go get drunk with my friends and, and watch soccer and, you know, just, like, meet new people. Because um, I felt like as you get older, and anywhere, like, it's harder to make new friends, you know. Um, so I wanted to do something to, like, celebrate it. Uh, and I hit up one of my friends um, from, like, those there was college party days that was a videographer and I was like, yo, I have this idea. I want to make this like mini routine video basically. And it was uh, like more than two and a half minutes and it was all like fire related samples basically at the end of the day. So like anything from like Snoop Dogg's like drop it like it's hot to like Johnny Cash's ring of fire, like it's, it, things that were like really literal and like kind of hokey at the end of the day. But uh, I was like, yo, I want to film it. I, you know, I come from like a turntablist background. So like I'm gonna do some cuts. So I'll do some like, you know, some juggling, some behind-the-back stuff. And I just want to put it on the internet just to show I'm like, I'm just, I'm fucking pumped about going to these games this summer. And, uh, yeah, so we, we made it, and then we intercut goals from, like, the previous season because I was like, yo, this is going to be sick. And we put it on the internet, and I, like, slid it to some, like, MLS blogs because I was like, you know, like, I mean, if someone reposted, that would be cool, and maybe they check out my DJ stuff or another mix I have, like, whatever, just kind of trying to be enterprising. Yeah. And it, it didn't, like, blow up. I wasn't, like, you know, getting called on the Allen show or anything like that. But it got, like, a couple thousand hits, basically, at the end of the day on, on YouTube, which was cool. And um, uh, I got an email um, from uh, one of the VPs of, of marketing. And they were like, hey, like, you know, we saw the video. Actually, the owner of the team saw the video, the owner at the time. And I was like, what? Like, how? Like... Do you check my mixes? Like, is he on my Instagram? What's up? <laughs> and uh, and they were like, hey, "Can you like, can you do this every game?" And I was like, "Fuck yeah, I can do this every game." What are you right. talking about? Right. Um. So yeah, they um they were like, "Well, we'd love to have you, you know, do that." And so from then on, um, I had to. I think I got the word when I was actually on vacation, like out of the country. But um uh. That must have been like, wild. Yeah. That's a that's a wild call to get. I, I I have to imagine. Yeah, I mean, like I met I met I met the guy. His name's Mike Ernst. He's still at the club, which he's just a legend there. And uh, I met him at Simone's, and we had a beer and kind of talked it over. And he's like, "Yeah, you down? Like, here's the contract. This is what it looks like." And kind of, obviously, I didn't sign it right there, but uh, 
had some people to go over it and I made everything was like, you know, on the level 100 and we just kind of kept it from there. And so it's, it's grown since then for sure. And so it's, it's significant too, that the, uh, the fire now is moving to soldiers field. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it like, it's been, it's been over a decade, I believe. I'm not, I'm not, all the fire fans are going to yell at me cause I'm not like, I'm not super tight with the numbers, but it's, it's been quite some time in Bridgeview and they had a, um, new ownership group, um, take over the team, um, within the last year or so. And part of the deal, um, with the group was uh, buying out of their contract lease, which would have them, you know, essentially sequestered in Bridgeview um, and go back to the the major part of the city. Because it's just like, while it was great for suburb families and like hopefully they don't lose that audience as well, it, it just was virtually like, you know, impossible. Sorry, that's my dog. Right there. Oh, good. Uh, virtually impossible uh, to to make it there at the end of the day, you know, it was just for forever. It's like a 45 minute drive. Like no one's going to do that. You know, I mean, it was really, really difficult. Yeah. And so, so that's significant. And how does, how do you then think about that? I mean, once we get back to, to being able to have their opener and, and, and their play, uh, what does that mean for you as, as the DJ? Uh, I mean, it, it means a lot. I mean, to me, like, uh, the team itself had had some rough patches, I think, when I was uh, originally um, uh, took over the reins as, like, the sound selector for them. Um, and so it's generally tough to try and present, like, cultural things outside of um, uh, the regular run of play when the performance level is good, right? Like, you're seeing that with, like, the Bulls right now, for instance. Like, it's really hard to, like, push cultural agenda when, like, there's just not butts in the seats, basically, at the end of the day, right? And, like, and this is not to knock any, like, like franchise or anything, but everyone goes through, like, ebbs and flows sometimes in terms of, like, you know, where the where the team's at, where the front office is at, all that other good stuff. Um, so it's a huge opportunity, I think, to, you know, while you've put in a lot of, effort for the last five years of being it just to like level set and just start over again you know obviously you want to take a lot of the cultural touch points the people that have made that experience so special for the last you know 20 years um when they were in soldier field when they were in neighborville for a little bit when they were in bridgeview um but to be able to kind of like nestle back into the city and reintroduce yourself um it's huge and as a, as a dj for a, a chicago sports team like like I said, like there's streets named after DJs here. Like it's, it's a huge undertaking and it's something that like, you know, a responsibility that I definitely don't take lightly for sure. No, well dope, man. I mean, it's, it's, I'm excited for, for the world to return to a semblance of normal. And certainly when we could gather again, I'm excited to see you do your thing, uh, in that stadium. I mean, that's pretty, yeah, man, of course we've got you on the hookup whenever you want to come I, I appreciate sure. it. Um, so, you know, as we are kind of, uh, you know, sequestered right now, I, I know, Outside of taking uh, a lot of fashion photos that I see you posting on your uh, Instagram, fits, yeah. Um, yeah, you <laughs> pull it off a lot of fits. You've also been, uh, you know, kind of moving to a virtual space. What are some of the things that you're doing, or that you see other DJs doing that you find to be interesting, engaging, uh, helpful right now too? In, yeah. In a way? Well, first off, I'm gonna I'm gonna address this clear shot over the bow on my fits that I've been busting on Twitter and Instagram. And I will say that I will say that these are, these are methodical and they're intentional because to me, when you're in the space where you're cooped up all the time, I think when I was, when I was a, a kid, like I went to a magnet school that like pulled, you know, 
kids from all walks of life like into a community and we had a, a dress code right and there was like science and there was like studies around the idea that like if you actually get up and like dress yourself and like put intention behind what you're wearing it gives you another like level of focus like that day as well so i know the the easy thing is to like just rock the sweatpants like the wild sweatpants all day but i've really been trying to like all right like what am i going to wear tomorrow like i gotta look fresh i'm taking a picture you know like and then hopefully that like trickles down into me being productive during the day and it doesn't always work honestly like but you know we try um but to your other point to the virtual aspect of like where everyone's been at now uh, i think that like with everything it's like a dual-edged sword right like uh, if i go on my instagram like it's it literally blows up with people like going live you know what i'm saying which is like is uh is overwhelming right like um there's some people that are going live that shouldn't be going live with anything you know what i'm saying but that's kind of part of the the nature of like content and like how you see things like i think there's some people that think they're like a an influencer or like a have some type of i don't know like taste or 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 point of view that probably that probably are just kind of regurgitating what they see on the internet yeah um it's part of what it means to be in a democracy i guess you know? yeah, yeah yeah or like or just you know on social media in general right people right. just kind of trying to get those cloud points off you know, when they're in quarantine right <laughs> yeah. um but i think generally it's been it's been really dope because a lot of stuff that's been happening like from like the legendary dj status like people that are like you have to go to a certain club in New York on this day, the third week of the month, to be able to hear Stretch Armstrong or, you know, DJ Premier or uh, Tony Touch or, like, all these guys, like, hop on and play. But I don't always have $200, you know, for the JetBlue flight to or whatever it is to hop over there. So I think it, it gives a whole level of... Um, uh, approachability um, to be able to listen and hear people like in the lab doing the work that they would have done normally and even like there's this whole story about the guy um, uh, D-Nice from BDP yeah um, that like had a hundred thousand uh, followers tuned in on his chat like that's insane that's wild and, yeah and, I, and like you know there's definitely haters like oh like D-Nice ain't it like blah 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 but like that's no, D-Nice was dope as shit though let's be real yeah, D-Nice let's be real Been and, he's, and he's and he's put in like the man's the man's just the whole point of staying relevant for over to, like if Come you on. stay over relevant for 20 years in anything yeah like You're, I don't care the person that's saying that is like an accountant or something like that or like someone that like no, you know it's he's just, nice it's been a, here he's been dope he stays dope yeah ne- yeah next so conversation you know I, I guess my hope, honestly, is it's dope for people to share their art. And I think you've honestly been doing that with, with YCA and, like, the writing prompts because, like, every person has their own personal art, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's the way that they talk to people. It's the way that they uh, interact with one another. It's the way they embrace people. Like, it could, you could get down to, like, very rudimentary things, but everyone has a certain particular style and where they hold themselves and the way they portray their art. And at a very, like, molecular level, it's very dope to see people creating that art and you can tune in immediately and say it and every person's been doing kind of their own take of it what i will say is that if you're not going to do anything different from what everybody else is doing think long and hard about the art that you're creating so if you're going to go live why don't you you know leverage you know another community to come in and view in you know uh 
Ting Marie, um, she's a friend of mine. She did like a live stream where she was, you know, donating um, to help independent artists. Like, if you're if you're gonna kick your style to people, do it in a way that you know is authentic to who you are. And it doesn't have to be like a hundred thousand followers, like D Nice, right? Like, you know, it can be something small. But if you're going to make an impact and make someone else's, you know, quarantine dance party a little bit better then I think that's where it's at really at the end of the day yeah that's what's up man um, and, and what, where's the best place that we could be in tune with all that you're doing uh, where can we hear you where can we find you where can we see you get these fits off sure yeah I mean once once we're back in the the open again you can come by any Chicago Fire game um, I'll be the guy inside the stadium on the ones and twos which is which is dope so I implore you to come out and, and catch a game at Soldier Field right in that context it's going to be really really fun um, so that's number one. Um, on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at callme underscore step uh, for all those. Um, SoundCloud, I think it's relatively the same. You can just look up my name, DJ Step. There's not many. There's not many of us. Um, and then Mixcloud as well. And then every um, every second Friday on Vocalo. So it, the time slot changes, right? Like because Jesse kind of culturally taste makes where who should go where and whatever. But every second Friday, I'm on there, basically doing my thing. Ninety one point one, right? Yep, you got it. Or on the, I'll do the the plug right on the app. So if you don't got a car like me, it's okay. You can still rock with us, right? Or you, there's a web player too on your computer if you want to plug it into your speakers or whatever. That's cool too. Dope. Well, uh, DJ Step, thank you, man. Uh, appreciate you. Appreciate you listening, and uh, very much appreciate you having you on. And, and thanks for dropping gems. And also, very much look forward to seeing you in Soldier Field, man. So appreciate you. Thank you, man. It's just the beginning. Shout out our super producer, DJ Cashera. Big up boss man, Todd Manley. Thank you to our official corner store photog, Mercedes Zapata. Salutes to the snack door, Max. Also, please, y'all, follow our Instagram. It's corner underscore pod on IG, on Twitter. Tell us who you want to see in the corner store. And also, please consider dropping a couple of dollars into our Patreon account. It's patreon.com, corner store underscore pod. The corner store is brought to you by Stolen Spirits.